you know this has a strong fairy tale element to your mm-hmm. to the whole thing about you it's mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> it's every, every at every turn it's like man that's that's so unusual <laughs> yeah yeah unusual Very. is is the word we we've come to embrace this, so, this yes. past year <laughs> And now we're going to take just a minute to hear about another great podcast on the Osiris Network. You can listen to all of our shows at OsirisPod.com. Hi, my name is Tim Wheaton. I'm the host of the Daddy Unscripted podcast. No, it's not just me talking with dads about being dads, and it's not just for dads, that's for sure. What it is is a varied spectrum of inspiring stories and emotional tales from a wide range of guests that come from the world of sports, of music, and even the guy that lives down the street from you. Not that guy, but the other guy. Yeah, that one. I can pretty much guarantee you're going to get something out of every episode. So come check out the Daddy Unscripted podcast. Do you ever think of the things about yourself that you compensate for? The things that you might not like or that cause you pain? And do you think about what it takes to go about your day-to-day? managing to project your outward self instead of these things? Okay, probably not. These things, these memories and habits and desires, all of that baggage, they can at times be pushed down so far as to be forgotten, or at least consciously so. There's a tool psychologists use called the Johari Window, a therapy which unearths what baggage the participant is lugging around, and which points to the things that have either been totally obscured and forgotten or were simply never before realized. Part of what the Johari window aims to do is to reveal these areas of the unknown, and therefore bring them to light and bring about greater self-knowledge and better relationships. There's a famous quote by a former U.S. Secretary of Defense about known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. That line points directly back to psychologists John Luft and Harrington Ingham's Johari window therapy. A known unknown is like realizing your commute might be delayed by a traffic accident, and the unknown unknowns can at times be those things that are inside of us that we try to avoid and at times successfully forget, or more like we think we forget. Maybe we ignored or forgot all kinds of things about ourselves, and we go to a festival one weekend where a band plays and their set shines a light on places inside us that we never expected, a band whose set not only brings the house down, but also unlocks something inside a lot of the people seeing it. A band who is so filled with love and joy that it spills out all over everyone within earshot, rushing over them with a wave of emotion that is impossible to forget. Like their album title says, it's a healing tide. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories, and our episode on the War and Treaty.
right, to your right in the corner, up head height. We're getting stink bugs out of the tent. That's like a sport in itself. There it goes one. I don't know where yours went. I got one of mine out. My friend Jeff Williams and I inaugurated festival season this spring with a trip to the albino skunk farm. And one of the first things we found were stink bugs all up in our gear and tent. I pulled out my chair, opened it up, and let loose two or three dozen right then and there. Being that it was at the Albino Skunk Music Festival, which is named after, you guessed it, an albino skunk, which was around the place back when it was still a farm, I figured they would feel right at home. This has become one of my favorite festivals, and it is a big reason why the Southern Songs and Stories podcast exists. Two years ago, I did three episodes on the Albino Skunk Festival and also co-produced two videos of artists there that spring. One of the voices in that series is Sharon Meeker, who talks to me again in this episode. You will also hear from Michael and Tanya Trotter, the core couple behind the War and Treaty, as well as their producer, Buddy Miller, and a lot of their set from that Friday night in early April, which was also almost all new material. We'll also explore a bit about music therapy along the way. But first, some more of the music and another example of how the war and treaty opened up a whole lot of people to some unknowns they might have been totally unprepared for. At about 30 minutes into their set, Michael introduces the next song. Well, I want to share something with you all real quick. Is that okay? Now, the nature of, uh, the nature of what I'm going to share with you requires total concentration and requires your heart to listen and your mouths closed for a minute because one of you, somebody amongst you is experiencing some extreme difficulty right now. And I've learned through the years that if you put it out there in the universe, it comes back good fortune. So I want to tell you about a friend out here he came and he spoke with some of my bandmates and he had a very unique request. He requested a certain song and unfortunately, no, we're not perfect, so we don't know that song. But it's okay because we know the pain he's feeling and we know what he's going through. He said, uh, I want to tell you something, man. Um, any day now, tonight or tomorrow, my ex is going to leave this world due to cancer. And he said, I just wanted to just see if you could do something in her honor. And he don't know that we were going to do this, but this is what it's all about. Now, for a moment, you know, I want to touch on the heartstrings to help you understand. Right now, it's actually not about the cancer, but it's about the energy we put out there. So that this beautiful soul can know that it's okay to let go. Death can be so scary because it's so unknown and we don't know. But I'm here to let you know that, man, but death can be so beautiful when you got people in your corner saying, go be free, go be free. So I connected. And I don't know where you're at, but I want to tell you something. I wrote this song. 
about these kinds of moments right here. My vinyl skunk moments. But this song is talking about the spirit reaching out. Just touching when you need a little extra thing. Now, this ain't a religious thing. This ain't no kind of church or Catholic or, you know, all the other religions that I can't even pronounce. <laughs> this is a humanity thing. When I'm sad, my battle buddies, they call me. And my wife is right there. And when she's saying I'm there. I just want you to just understand something that whenever you feel alone, you feel by yourself, just know you can always bring those kind of requests to the war and treaty. No matter what, man, we will always be there to reach out. This song is called Reach Out.
thing that I take from the southern culture culture is service and love mm -hmm. and um, we base our, our our existence pretty much on love and um, what we give to our audiences uh, love without boundaries love without hesitation uh, love that has no limits love that doesn't see color you know and gender and um, but love that sees love and I think that's the impact we're starting to have on, on the culture. Period is to, is love, and, uh, not just husband and wife love, but how we love the people that work for us, how we love our band, how we love our fans, and how we love strangers. We had, oh, how do you say it? An extremely visceral sort of reaction to the War and Treaty show at the Albano oh, Skunk Festival. Oh, definitely. Um... I think uh, the, the, the biggest thing I said at the end of all that was that felt like church. <laughs> it was a very, very moving experience for a lot of people, Tear, tears in many different places. They really did take everybody to church in a, in a very broad sense. It was the Church of the War and Treaty. I think they actually referred to themselves as the Church of War and Treaty at some point during the show. But yeah. just taking the first set or first uh, six songs, it follows very closely a church service in, say, a traditional Southern Baptist church where the first song, I'll call it Take Me In, it's an invitation. Okay, so Take Me In, it's got the line, wash away my sin in that song. And then they go right. at about the half hour mark. Michael goes into the story about one of the festival goers who approached them and requested a song for yes. his ex, and she was about to pass away from cancer. And then he goes into yeah. the monologue that leads up to reach out. And I think right. there might not have been a dry eye in the house at that point. 
No, and you know my experience, that, that was my life. That was my life three years ago. My ex was dying from cancer. I went right back to that moment. That, that experience for me at Skunk Fest was so cathartic and part of so crucial to my healing process with my ex and being able to move on. I was actually able to, to speak of the experience in, in more of a, in a joking, not joking about the situation, but in more of a joking way because of some of the grief I was able to process during that song. And you know, the tears, they were not, they were not voluntary. I mean, it was just, you could not control them. They were just, it was gushing and gushing tears and just, and just processing all of that. And I, and I do wonder, was that, was that was that spirit able to move on with that experience? Could they feel that? They had to have been able to. It was amazing. The war and treaty story is often told with a focus on Michael's extraordinary path to becoming a music artist, and this is well worth telling. But Tanya's story is equally important, compelling, and improbable. Their two stories together read like something straight out of a movie. You know, early on I was influenced by all different styles of music. My mother was a Afro-Latina, so I grew up listening to Enrique Iglesias and Celia Cruz and you know artists like that. And then, um, of course, going to church on Sundays, uh, listening to people like James Cleveland and having the honor of singing in, you know, with Donald Vales, mm-hmm. uh, Claire Ward, singers, mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, people, I have all these people around me. And as I got older, uh, start realizing what I had around me. You know, this was I was. You don't realize you're in the presence of legends until you did get to see a number of legends. Yes, tell I us did. about that. Uh, I had the opportunity to, of course, meet Patti LaBelle <laughs> and uh, Whoopi Goldberg, um, um, Julie Andrews. Um, God, it was so many different artists. Uh, Diana Ross I had the honor of tributing her, and meeting these people and seeing the, the level of greatness that they operate on, you know, it just made me want to be better and made me want to become, you know, made me want to make them proud, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Back in 1993, Tanya had a prominent role in the movie Sister Act 2, where she sang with Lauren Hill and was featured in the soundtrack. She was a rising star in R&B music, and after several songs from her 1994 debut album Natural Thing charted, she signed with Sean Combs' Bad Boy Entertainment for her second album. But only two songs saw the light of day there, as well as a song which was included in the label's first gospel compilation. Like so many artists before her and since, she was stuck in a place that wasn't a good fit, and eventually she got out. She continued to make music and worked consistently in musical theater. Michael's theater was the theater of war in Iraq, He joined the Army in 2003, recalling that he didn't know it was wartime, and went on to say, quote, People say, how do you not know that? Well, in the neighborhood I grew up in, we weren't patriotic. No one cared. That's rich people's news. Meanwhile, someone I know just got shot yesterday, end quote. He was ill-suited to thrive in wartime, however, and his fellow soldiers knew the fear in him was a liability that threatened Michael and them both. It was when he was stationed at one of Saddam Hussein's former bombed-out palaces that his life took a major turn. Inside was an unscathed piano, which Michael's captain encouraged him to play. His captain was already impressed with his singing, and with this encouragement, Michael learned to play the piano. Later on, his captain was killed. 
and he wrote a song in tribute to him. It was then that his superiors recognized his potential to use his music to help many more soldiers, and they put him on a totally different path than what he started on, writing songs to eulogize the fallen. Michael would talk to a fallen soldier's comrades and learn about them, and then write a song to pay tribute. This is what he did from then on until he was discharged, winning Military Idol, the Armed Forces version of the show American Idol, was a sign of bigger things to come. Fast forward to being back in the States, and Michael was playing in Lowell, Maryland, when he met Tanya at the city's Love Fest music festival. Tanya called Michael after they exchanged numbers, and they were soon inseparable. They married and have a son named Legend, who was often touring with them whenever school is out of session. It took a few years for them to form the War and Treaty, and they released their first record in 2016. As recently as a year ago, before their album Healing Tide was released, their music wasn't widely distributed, and they could play a festival like Albino Skunk in front of an audience that had never heard of them. Now they are blowing up nationwide. Just a few examples to give you the gist. In March of 2019, Michael and Tanya led the 54th anniversary of the Edmund Pettus Bridge March in Montgomery, Alabama, and sang songs along the way with civil rights icon Representative John Lewis, congressmen and women from around the country, and civil rights leaders. Their song, Love Like There's No Tomorrow, appeared on the NBC show The Blacklist in late March, and they sung it on stage at a Mumford & Sons show by the band's request. They sang the national anthem at the SEC Men's Basketball Championship game this year, too. Their organ player told me in our interview that when he was offered a gig a year ago to be in the band, he called around to friends to ask if they thought it was a good idea. Now he knows that it wasn't just a good idea, but more like a great idea to jump on board when he did. Buddy Miller was on board to produce their album Healing Tide, and a conversation with him is coming up after a word from one of our former guests. Hey everybody, this is Sam from Time Sawyer, and you're listening to Southern Songs and Stories, where you can hear my band on our episode in this series, documenting the music of the South and the artists who make it. Southern Songs and Stories is available wherever you get your podcast and at southernsongsandstories.com. One of the easiest ways to help spread awareness about these artists and their music is to subscribe to the podcast and give it a good rating and a comment on the platforms where you listen. Thanks so much for listening and supporting great music and great podcast. We hope to see you soon. been some great husband and wife duos in music history. That's one of them, Ike and Tina Turner, with a bit of their song, I Can't Believe What You Say. Ike and Tina have a good bit in common, at least musically, with Michael and Tanya, sharing some of the same R&B and rock elements. You heard Ike singing in that song, which is rare, so that's one big difference. And I'm pretty sure there's no way these two couples' personal lives were anything alike. 
Also unlike Ike and Tina, the War and Treaty don't produce their music themselves now, whereas Ike was firmly in control of that duty up until he called on Phil Spector more than a decade into his work with Tina. For the War and Treaty's album Healing Tide, Michael and Tanya brought in one of Roots Music's most celebrated names. Can we talk about Buddy Miller a little bit? Because oh, he's essential to your story. A little bit. We can talk about him a lot of bit. Buddy is just perfect in every way and shape of the form of the word. Uh, kind gentleman. We met him uh, through a, another mutual friend, someone who actually discovered us by the name of Don Was. And um, Buddy fell in love with our sound and wanted to create with us a, a beautiful record that would represent what he saw in us. And he brought Amy Lou Harris on board, and we met her. Buddy's just super kind. You know, I, I can't, I don't, I don't even know where to begin or end with him. Uh, he looks out for us all the time. We thought it would be done as soon as the record was over. No, Buddy's a lifer. As long as he's got breath in his body, he's going to always look out for the younger and newer artists. And uh, we love him for that. A bit of Here Is Where the Loving Is At from their album Healing Tide, featuring Emmy Lou Harris. Emmy Lou and Buddy go way back to when Buddy played lead guitar in Emmy Lou's touring band in the 90s and have worked together many times since. I called Buddy and got his take on what a prolific writer Michael is and asked him about my earlier musical comparison. There have been a lot of great husband and wife duos in music over the decades. The closest thing that I could point to might be Ike and Tina Turner, and that's imperfect, but do you have anybody that you could put in that category? Yeah, don't point to, to them. Um, um, gosh, you know, I think everyone's imperfect, um, and I don't know how it works. And I, I, I they're, just, they're so special, and their story, and everybody's story is special. You know, outside of the, the big couples that that there are in country music and uh, wouldn't necessarily want to point at any of them. They've got their own thing. I mean, they've got their own dynamic. It's amazing to me how they sing as one person. Um, Sometimes they'll do songs that they've never, they haven't finished or sung completely or even sung. And it just sounds like it's one, it's one person, one performance. They're amazing things. I think it's what happens sometimes when you are married. You just get in each other's minds and hearts so much that a new thing comes out of the two of you. If I'm right, they announced that they played three songs a couple of weeks ago when I saw their set for the very first time in front of that audience. And I went back and listened to the audio again, and I was like, yeah, that's what he said. They debuted these songs tonight. 
Yeah, and he doesn't have a problem with that. You know, they were putting up a lot of songs that were not recorded on YouTube before we started working together. Um, and I'm I'm so glad that did. I mean, I discovered songs that weren't even in the running for the record just by poking around their YouTube channel. And another little-known fact is I believe Michael edits those videos. Um, and to your your point about them debuting two new songs, uh, we were on a cruise together on the Kayamo cruise ship. You've probably heard of it. It's like singer-songwriter heaven for a week. And this was their second year. Um, and I was sitting on the side of the stage watching this set and suddenly realized in the middle of a song I've never heard, I think he's making this up, this whole thing on stage. And the band has no idea where it's going. Um, and there was a flow to it. Part of it was it was a song of his or a piece that, that was new to me, kind of weaving in and out of um, a little help from my friends, uh, Beatles sort of slowed down, and uh, something else that I can't remember right now. But then there were new Michael Trotter songs in there too. And the whole while, he's speaking to the audience kind of in between, and there's an there, there's a flow and an arc and a story to what he's saying, and it's very uplifting. And he's just in in the moment, and his you know creative guy inside there is working overtime. Here's another new song from their live performance.
under your luminous
The whole experience of their show, along with knowing what Mike and Tanya are all about, brings to mind just how much good can come from their music. I spoke about this with Sharon Meeker. I think, too, a lot of the evidence that we have, scientific evidence about how music has so many intersections with our physiology, how it can be a mm-hmm. gateway mm-hmm. to emotion, especially as you as you see in our example, you know, it's just emotions of yeah. plenty. I mean, Michael yeah. Trotter is like the key to the door of emotion or something. He has a way of just opening people up, I think. He does. And you know his experience, you've heard about his past, right? Being in the war. Mm-hmm. And everything, and he was in the war, and the experiences that he went through. I think that those, what he went through when when he went through those experiences in the war, it definitely made him who he is now. But I think he he found he found a place within him that he would he knew he'd be able to help people process grief because you know a lot of the, what happens with the war is PTSD, and I think music can be very uh, beneficial there too. It is very therapeutic. There's a lot of studies where even like drum circles are people's therapy, and and that's almost just as good as going to speak about um, your issues with a therapist for like an hour. And it is, it really is making a big difference. And um, I think if there was like a center for music and healing, that that would be like an amazing place. And if I were ever to have a nonprofit, that would be something that I would want to do, something like that. And I think that there are some places that that definitely do that with horses and with nature. And I just don't know if there's many places that do that with music. Oh, but wait, Sharon, there are some places just like that. I looked up music therapist Gretchen Chardos-Benner at Piedmont Music Therapy in Charlotte, North Carolina, and asked for her insight into all of this. We use music as that tool to foster self-empowerment and self-confidence and self-esteem to focus on the here and now and the present and the decisions that they're able to make. And then if we wind down through the years, we also work with children and teenagers that have a lot of different stressors going on, Joe. Perhaps they're in a single-parent household or they're, they've been through the foster care system, and they're really needing... Similarly, a healthy way to, to cope and to express themselves and to connect with others. And so music can just be such an amazing conduit to just hop on an instrument and start playing along and jamming with others, as opposed to just verbally saying, this is all that I've encountered, all my past traumas. That's a little bit more abrasive. It could be. Does that make sense? It does. I've read things like when singing in groups people's heart rates aligned. Have you heard anything like that? Oh, right. There's ample evidence behind the benefits of both live music, even, you know, receptively attending live concerts, how that can be great for your health and wellness, like you attested to the couple that you witnessed in that powerful experience. There's lots of evidence behind live music and its effectiveness. But yeah, there's also great evidence behind participating in music, whether it's joining a choir and just the health benefits of increasing your oxygenation, right? Because you're singing. And in a group, it can be helpful to connect with others, to decrease isolation and promote social socialization, connectedness within the community. There is a lot of evidence 
in general as well as specifically to folks with different diagnoses or disorders and the effectiveness of that. The way we interact with and benefit from music is a truly fascinating subject, and there's a lot of research on its effects on us, way too much to get into here. But you can find out more about what Gretchen is doing on her website at piedmontmusictherapy.com and about music therapy in general from the American Music Therapy Association. Speaking of the health and wellness benefits of live music, here's some more of the War and Treaty set at Albino Skunk. That was seven brand new songs. You like them? <laughs> Good, because here comes number eight. <laughs> They've just about heard the whole new album. <laughs>
Michael told me that their live sets are a means of testing out new material to decide which songs are the best choices for their next album, which they plan on recording in the fall of this year. In our conversation, I also asked them about what they would do if they could change some things about the music business. Michael started out by saying that he wished the industry would reboot the way it used to break artists by putting them on a tour with other established artists, and he would have that audience pay attention to the newer artists especially and give them some respect by not talking so much during their set. Amen to that. And he and Tanya continued saying this. And how some of the industry men view women. Um, We have a lot of issues sometimes in sound checks and stuff because some of the men feel that they know better than the ladies because they're ladies. And I think that my magic wand would wouldn't change them directly. My magic wand would just uncover my life and let them see that I don't have it all put together and let them see who's putting it together for me. It's this beautiful woman right here. And I answer to her. You know, I work because of her. I, I have my drive because she told me I could be something. And we have to remember that as men. You know, we're not in this alone and we don't know it all. That's where I'm at with it. Well, I think um, Michael kind of touched on one of the things my magic wand would touch on is is the, um, you know, equality, you know, um, to female artists and men as well, you know, in certain areas is just to make it equal, equal playing field. Because when you start doing gender specific things, then you start creating division. So my magic wand would definitely put the light on equality and um, preparation, you know, from the artist standpoint as well as the the crowd to prepare for the moment that you're going to, you know, experience an artist and for the artist to prepare for the moment they're going to experience the fan. That's our show. Thanks for listening. I'm Joe Kendrick, host and producer of Southern Songs and Stories, and I would also like to thank Zig and everyone at the Albino Skunk Festival, their sound crew touring logistics, to Sean Rubin for audio mastering, and to Lindsay Reed at 30 Tigers, Kathy Whitley at Vector Management, and John Gillespie Photography. Please support the music of the artists you enjoy hearing here, and I encourage you to spread the word about this independent project and consider helping by subscribing, rating, and commenting on the show where you get your podcasts, and by becoming a patron. You can find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories, and you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and Instagram, at South Stories. Send me an email, and I'll be glad to get back to you from southernsongsandstories at gmail.com. Plus, our podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and lots of other platforms, as well as on Bluegrass Planet Radio. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. We close out the podcast with the Warren Treaty's Love Like There's No Tomorrow. Love past, I won't pile. We're gonna love, love like there's no 